The following audio is from Sand Hills Community Church. More information about Sand Hills Community Church is available at www.sandhillschurch.org. Good morning. How are you? Good morning to you. That's right. I'm David Olshine. This is the Malcolm Walls Jr. Malcolm Walls Jr. the third, I call him. Yes. We are going to have an honest conversation this morning about Valentine's Day weekend and an open discussion on relationships. And if you think of the heart, think of the heart as four chambers, two up or two lower. We consider the four chambers today of singleness, mm-hmm. dating, well, engagement, mm-hmm. and marriage. Hallelujah. So, Proverbs 4.23, Did you, can you sing? Keep it moving, keep it moving. <laughs> Above all else, guard your heart. Everybody say heart. heart. Guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. We're going to talk about the heart and talk about the heart as it relates to relationships. So, Malcolm Walls Jr., the third. We have some pictures of you. Yes. Oh, look at that. That is a picture of my bride, Tiffany, and I. We were um, engaged in that picture. So uh, stunning she is in that picture. And that was in 2005. And then... That's a skinnier... Yeah. And that, oh my goodness. And that's, we got married in 2006. And she has not changed a bit. She's still gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. I've gotten, yeah, I've changed a whole lot, but she's still fine. Amen. Praise him. And then, uh, so in 2010, we started having a family. These are our, our little ones, squad. So this is Imani, who is nine and a, and a half, or 9.75 years old. Alex, um, who had just turned five, and Malcolm, who is seven. He's the third. And praise God, they look like Tiffany, yes. right? Yes. That's right. Yes. All yeah. beautiful and handsome. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, 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 what about your family, okay. your peeps. So Rhonda and I, where's my wife, Rhonda? Say hi, honey. There's my wife. Everybody say hi, hi, Rhonda. Are you going to stand yeah, up? She, you can stand up. Just stand up. We say. made Tiffany stand yeah. up in a second. She hated it. Um, there is our engagement picture. The second service really got a reaction to this that you guys aren't, you guys, that's my Kramer haircut from Seinfeld. Okay. All right. And uh, look, some people think I look like Jim Croce. Can you go back to that real quick? Can you go back to that real quick? What do you think? What do you think? Jack, what do you think? Yeah, definitely. And then uh, here's our wedding picture from Cincinnati, Ohio. We were married at College Hill Presbyterian. And then uh, since then, we've added some uh, little kids, uh, Rachel and Andrew. So to my left, to the left is me and then Rhonda and then uh, Rachel and then Andrew in the middle is Chris, our new son-in-law. They got married in Texas. And then um, the next picture is Rachel having that glaze at me with the look of, Daddy, for many years, you're an idiot, but you've forked out so much money, you're now my hero. Amen. You know? Amen. Yeah. You know? And then, uh, and then my favorite picture of all this Texas wedding was Andrew and Rachel dancing. You see the te- Texas boots? That's a Texas wedding, brother. So that's our family, and uh, that's, that's where it is today. Now, so you didn't just start out like this. and Yeah, no. so single. No, we started single. single. Yes, so, we did. So talk to us about uh, singlehood, yeah. that season, 
in you and Rhonda? Yeah, singleness is about exploring. It's about exploration. So whether you're a little kid or you're middle school or high school or college or, or you're getting older, singleness is about exploring who you are, who you are apart from others, uh, your identity, where do you get your identity, your values. You're just in a period of exploration. And uh, my heart really goes out to those who are single, who don't want to be single. Uh, for example, those that um, my colleague who's never been married, uh, she's gotten very content with it. Although she will say, uh, she just turned 60, she'll say, I'm really open to getting married, but I've spent most of my life pouring into young people and young women. And then there's those that have had um, hurts and whether it's been through a divorce, uh, whether it's been through being a widow or a widow. So my, I just, we just want to say up front, my, our hearts go out to you because I know that that's hard for some on Valentine's Day. Just like for some people, Mother's Day is a hard day or Father's Day. They've lo- there's been a grief, a loss. But what the scriptures really says about singleness is that it is a stage. And it's a stage about exploring. And it's a stage to be celebrated, not just put up with. First uh, Corinthians 7, Paul says, to those who are unmarried and to those who are widows, I say it's, it's good for them to remain single as I am. And what Paul's saying is, is if you're in that stage of singleness, it's a gift. And one of the first dates Ron and I ever had was at Asbury Seminary. We actually went to hear a guy on campus who talked about singleness. And he had just gotten married. So it kind of felt weird. It's like, all right, here he is. And his whole point was be content with your singleness. And I don't know that I was or wasn't at that season, but he was saying singleness is a gift. Celibacy is a gift. Marriage is a gift. Being a parent's a gift. Being a grandparent's a gift. Whatever stage you're in, celebrate that. Don't just tolerate it. So singleness is a gift, not just to be tolerated, but to be celebrated. How about you? Um, I was, I was never content with being single. Um, and it was just something that I always blamed other people. So here I am, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm educated or educated and I'm making some money. And, and I'm like, where, where's all the good women at? You know, they're always talking about where's a good man. I'm like, I'm right here. Like, here I am. Um, like, open your eyes. Right like, don't here. you see me? That's you know right. what I mean? And so, but the problem is, you know, in hindsight, I was messed up, right? I was searching for my own identity as a single person. And what compounded the problem is when I would go to church and people at church would pressure me with questions. When are you getting married? When are you getting married? When are you getting married? You know, sometimes there are people in my family. When are you getting married? When are you getting married? I'm like, don't you care about who I am as yeah, a person? Yeah, pump the brakes, And right? so if they ever ask me, so Malcolm, tell us about how you're doing. They would, I would say, Man, I'm just broken. And they realized I didn't need marriage. I needed a mentor. Right. Right. And so I think we can just kind of force it on people who are single as if, oh, single, don't, that's not a good part of life. Just wait till you get married. When it, no, yeah. it's an awesome time of discovering who you are. And the problem is, you know, we, as, when we're single, we don't really spend time doing that in that discovery process. When the Bible says in Psalm 139, 23, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And so this idea that as a, as a follower of Christ, I give myself over to him fully so that my mind and will and heart can be known by him and I can come to know who I am, who's my purpose, how's he gifted me, and realize I'm unique, right? And, and I get to kind of know me. Because if we don't really know who we are in Christ or whose we are, and knowing that we belong to him, sure. we can begin to tether ourselves to other situations, mm-hmm. other people, places, or things that 
are probably not godly. You put because our, our identity in other things, right? Surely. Yeah. And then we're looking for that stuff to complete us, mm-hmm. knowing that the only thing that can complete us is Christ himself. And so for me, when I came to this understanding of who I am in Christ, I realized, you know what? I'm free. I'm forgiven. I'm redeemed. I'm a champion. You know what? I'm royalty, right? And it's like, I'm unique. Like, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. This is who I am as a man, right? And being okay with that and say, you know what, God, I'm a little bit all right. I know I'm, I got my sure. mess. Sure. And I think once I got to that point, I was able to authentically be me. And when I was able to authentically be me, it helped me navigate other relationships. And so I think single, I know singleness is something that should be celebrated and appreciated, yeah. honored and uplifted because it can be an awesome time for people to you know, get on fire for who God is sure. and how he's called them uh, to yeah, live. Yeah, and Paul says you're undistracted. So right. you, you have much more of allegiance perhaps to the right. gospel than other things. Yeah, because we're just rushing people to get married. But then there's dating. If you get to the dating stage, if a person does, tell us about your dating with Tiffany. Well, dating with Tiffany, well, she's not here, so I can, yeah, go deep. So, so dating with Tiffany. So you were actually, you were on your best behavior, second best service. Best behavior, yes, second sure. service, because she was here. But, you know, Tiffany and I, like night and day. I'm night, she's day, <laughs> okay. right? And so we, had, we grew up with total, you know, different uh, backgrounds. And so for us, it was a time of, uh, I guess, evaluating. Yes. Um, and really kind of, okay, who are you? You know, what are you about? And so um, the Bible even talks about, um, in Proverbs 13, 20, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. So there's power in association. And so it was good that we got to know each other so she could say, okay, is this guy, is he foolish? Is he wise? And, I, and vice versa, I could say the same thing. Like, you know, who is she really? And so think about this. If you take a course, especially a college course, there's always a final course evaluation yeah. where the professor wants to know, did this course help you? Did it benefit you? And are you better afterwards? There's something we could change. I think in the dating period, it's the same thing. You're evaluating somebody to see, okay, are you really going to benefit me? Am I going to benefit you? Are you going to make me better? Are you going to help me love God better? Are you wise? You know, do you use common sense? Yeah. Right? So I think that's the time to really kind of talk about you know, those kind of things. And also get this tip and I set up boundaries. Okay. We dated. I didn't want to treat my relationship with Tiff like it was pre- like previous right. relationships. Right. And so I told her, hey, you know, one of, one of my boundaries was you can't, you can never come to my apartment ever with somebody by yourself. You can't do it. Why? The spirit is willing. <laughs> Amen. But the flesh is weak. See, I, I know me. Yes. Ron I know Ocean. me. Ron Ocean, back right? Let's preach that. So I think also when I would go to Tiff's house, I couldn't stay there past 10 o'clock. The boundaries aren't just to prevent sin. The boundaries demonstrate, will you respect me even when this boundary's up? Because if you don't respect the boundary, then you don't respect That's me. Very good. If you don't care about the boundary, then you really don't care about me. Yeah. And if you don't care about me now, we go further into this thing, you're really not going to care about me. So Oftentimes we think of boundaries as, oh, I just don't want to sin. No, boundaries help you get to know people. Yeah. And if you set that boundary and the person only wants one thing and they're willing to cross that boundary, like, I don't want, I don't yeah. want you. 
Because you don't have my best interest at heart. Yeah, like Rebecca says this. She says, I'm definitely as much to blame as any of the men I've met. I'm often unwilling to make space in my life a relationship needs in order to thrive. And then she says these words, maybe this will all change when I meet the right guy. We call that the myth of finding the right person. And it's not about finding the right person. It's about David Olshine, Malcolm Rawls, each of us being, being the right person, knowing who we are. And if you don't, if you, if you don't want a, a relationship like the majority of relationships, then don't date like the rest of the daters. Change it. We call it the Groundhog Day dating. It's like, if you've seen the movie Groundhog Day where you keep repeating the same thing? Well, I think for a lot of us, if we, if we date... Maybe we make some mistakes, and chances are we do. In fact, chances are all of us have. And so on the second time, second person around, maybe you try to do it a little different. And then the third, and all of a sudden, you develop a criteria for what you want. So I had this list. I had a dream list. I want the person, if I ever get married, to have this, this, this. So it was like, loves Jesus, feels called to some kind of ministry, loves the Cincinnati Bengals, loves the Reds, loves outdoor <laughs> stuff. And my friend was like, throw your stupid list away. Yeah. I was like, why? He goes, you're just not that good. Yeah. yeah, he said, you're just not that great. And I was like, thanks a lot. But he's right. He was right. And I had to throw the list away and because I was looking for the myth of that right person. Now, the beautiful thing is, is that the Lord actually gave me someone that likes the Bengals, and likes the Reds, Amen. and likes that's, the outdoor stuff. That's hard to find. That is hard. <laughs> because if you don't prepare during that season of evaluating, you're going to miss the whole thing. You're going to miss the point. And that's why, unfortunately, some people have had multiple, multiple, multiple dating relationships, multiple engagements, some multiple marriages, because they didn't take the time to evaluate the season of life they're in. Amen. Amen. So I know, so we talked about, you know, single, yes. that season, dating, that season. Now we start talking about engagement. Engagement what, what's your take is, on that? is about expectations. And I think you start to think through, um, how am I different from this person? What does this person bring to the table? What do I bring to the table? What's our view on finance? So when Rhonda and I, we started talking about finances, but then when we got married, uh, we, we had these things called checkbooks. I don't know if millennials know what a checkbook is, but we had checkbooks, and it learned, we tried to do it together once we got married, and that was a disaster. I mean, that was a disaster. And she said, are you good, good with money? I was like, not good with money. I said, are you good? She goes, I'm probably better than you. I said, probably true. And so we tried it together. That was a disaster. So then I tried it. It was horrible. And finally, I just said, I think you're probably the better person. And so that's what engagement's about. Now, recognize that engagement, the intensity I was engaged 11 months. You were engaged, what, a year? A year. You might as well round up to a year. You might as well round up to a year. The intensity emotionally, romantically gets going more because you're so excited about this marriage day and you want to to get to to that night really unscathed. And so for me, it was thinking through, like, how is our family system alike and how are are we different? But you don't fully know all of that until you get into marriage. What about you? I think it's, you're right. It's this idea of expectations and putting the cars out on the table. We, we tend, and I know I did, our premarital counseling wasn't, wasn't the best, and we made a lot of assumptions about each other. And the assumptions are, and expectations are often based on our own self-centeredness, how we grew up in our own culture, 
you know, life experiences. And so we did, I know for me, I would silently project unspoken expectations onto my wife, right? And this is during the engagement period. I know she's going to be this. She's going to do that. She's going to say yes to this. And I was comparing her to other people I've dated. Oh, she's going to be all that and then some. And then it's like, no, mm. that she's uniquely yeah. her. It's this idea that if you have an expectation that your spouse is going to work out, you're going to work out, and we're going to work out all the time, and you're going to look great all the time. It's like you're expecting your wife, your future wife, to look like Holly Berry, and you don't even look like Michael B. Jordan. It's like this expectation that's totally false, right? You can't put that out there. Um, and so I think we need to have start asking uh, serious questions during this engagement period. Yes, absolutely. Where we're saying, hey, you know, um, what, what are things like in your, in your life financially? What's medical history? Right? Where are you at spiritually? Like, what is stuff that you, what do you believe in for real, for real? Everybody say they, they love Jesus. Which Jesus are you in love with? Yeah. Right? So is it the God of the Bible or is it some other kind of Jesus? And so Philippians uh, 2 verse 4 says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so we can have these expectations that are rooted in so much selfishness mm-hmm. where I'm expecting you to do this. These are my expectations. Do this, do that. And what we're doing is, you're going to do this. You're going to think like me, act like me, behave like me, do what I do. That sounds too much like I'm trying to take the role of God. Sounds like control. It's controlling. And I'm trying to shape them and mold them into my image. Yeah. You can't be that way. Right. Right? And so we have to put all those expectations on the line and then ask honest questions, share honest information, and as the other person, you know, give honest feedback and say, hey, I can't meet up to the expectation. I'm not going to do this. I can't do that, but I can do this. Mm-hmm. And I think when we do that, now we're giving people the opportunity, that person, to make an informed decision if they want to move forward. Yep. Now, again, you can't know everything. Right. But at least you got to get like 80% out the way. There you go. And leave a little 20% wiggle room. I got that from my pastor. <laughs> you know, that 80-20 rule. 80-20 rule. From yeah. Philpot? From Philpot. Okay. So he knows some things. Oh, he knows a lot. Okay. He's all right. What about marriage, Malcolm? You know, with, with marriage, um, my marriage is great. It hasn't always been that way. Tiff and I have been married for, it'll be 14 years in July. We didn't truly understand what marriage meant until the 10th year. Because everybody has these awesome ideas. You know, he's going to be my knight in shining armor. She's going to be my queen. And then you realize the man of your dreams has now become your nightmare. Wow. Right. And so we, we started off right. But what I learned was in a book called Sacred Marriage, that marriage is not for your happiness. It's for your holiness. Mm-hmm. And that God not only has to be the foundation of the marriage, he is the roof. He is every nail. He is the drywall. He is all the, the electrical wiring. Come on. He is everything. And here's the thing. He is the thing. He is the one that keeps the marriage together, even when I want to let it go. Yes. He is the one that holds it even when I'm ready to release it and walk away. And so I've learned that in my marriage, the marriage experience, because it's all about an experience, right? Experiencing God. It it supersedes all the others because it's different. It is different. And so, and I realized that, you know, marriage isn't about glorifying self. It's about glorifying God. And so it's a commitment to kindness, being kind to my wife, being kind to your spouse, speaking kind words, but also kind actions, grace and mercy, forgiveness. That you're going to mess up. Yep. And sometimes forgiving is hard because trust has been broken. 
but give it time. That trust can be built back up if everybody's fighting in the marriage. Yep. And so there's love, which is the action. And then I think this is the idea of being a team player, where in any team, you have to be humble. That means ego is thrown out the door. No more arrogance. It's not about you, right? It's really about how can I create win-win scenarios for my spouse? Because if we get in the argument, our tendency is to win. But if I win, that makes my wife a loser. I don't want my wife to be a loser. I want her to be a winner. So how do I create those kind of scenarios? And then it starts with being humble. Also, you got to be hungry, meaning there has to be a passion and excitement and an enthusiasm for your marriage. It's got to be there. And you stop, we stop using blame language. What are you? It's all your fault. And you're yeah, not doing this. Yeah. And you're not doing that. And we take ownership. We use ownership language. I'm not doing this. What can we be doing better? And then you're smart. Yeah. And that is you make the right decisions. And when you mess up and you drop the ball in your marriage, you're willing to pick the ball up and learn from it and not repeat the same mistake. Yep. And if you keep repeating the same mistake, by God's grace, I hope there's enough love and grace in there to kind of help you walk through that process. Sure. So I think oftentimes that it, you sit here and you hear this, you're like, oh, but Pastor Malcolm's marriage is great. Hey, it wasn't always like that. Sure. And every day in my marriage is not happy. But every day there's a, a fight for it to be holy. Yep. So there is redemption in that. It can be restored. So what do you think? Ephesians, well, Ephesians 5 says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. Everybody say mystery. mystery. It's a mystery. I'm talking about Christ in the church. You know, at, at love, learning to love Rhonda as Jesus loves um, is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It's about experience because you're talking about two sinners <laughs> saved by grace, who are coming together to learn to do unity together. So when I do premarital, I always say, what is the one thing you're looking forward to? To all, all couples who are ready to get married. And they always say, I'm looking forward to the fact that I don't have to say goodbye to my wife. I can, or my, I can stay with them. It's like they've moved from engagement to marriage. Now they're permanently in a home or apartment or wherever they are. They're learning to do life together. And I think, I think the experience is that it takes on all kinds of new issues. So, you know, in our first year of marriage, the toilet breaks, right? Mm. And so Rhonda comes in and she's like, you know, can you fix this? I say, yeah, I'll be right back. And so I'm gone a minute or two. She goes, where'd you go? I said, well, call, calling a plumber. She goes, well, my dad, he, he, he can fix that. I was like, well, your dad ain't here. <laughs> and I ain't your daddy. And, but we can call him. It's a couple hours away, but we can call him. So, you know, here her family system, he knows how to fix stuff. And I know how to call people to fix stuff, right? Amen. So. Amen. You know, I mean, that's what we Jewish people do. No, sorry. Sorry. That's what I do. That's what I do. That's what that's There's some what Jewish do. people I know that can fix anything like Jesus is Jewish. Well, it's like, anyway, like, it's like Tiff, marriage, right? It's like Tiff, right? The expectation that, hey, you're going to lead a Bible study every week at our home and do a devotional time with our children. I didn't grow up with that. As a, I didn't have a role model that did that. Yeah. It's like, you're asking me to do something that your dad did, and your dad is great. I mean, he's a beast when it comes to this walk with Jesus. I'm like, I didn't have that growing up. It's time to watch the game. Like, the eagle's on. I'm not spending time with doing this. We got the There's halftime. Come on, man. You know, sermonettes make Christianettes. I can't do nothing in 15 <laughs> minutes. The thing about yeah. marriage is that if you're seeking to have a happy marriage, you're 
putting the cart before the horse. Seek to have a growing marriage. Happiness is a byproduct. People just try to, oh, I just want to, I just want you to be, I hire parents say it all the time. I just want my kids to be happy. No, you don't. You want your kids to be much more than happy. You want them to be teachable and growing. And relationships that never change are dying. And so you want a growing relationship. And I've learned this about my wife, and I think you you probably the same with Tiffany, is that Rhonda is not just a person. I mean, she's got a soul. And so I need to care for that soul. I need to take care of her. Ann Voskamp says, being careful with each other is how we care for each other. And so this is a, a person that's made in the image of God, and I got to care for this person. And so that's, that's huge, this whole experience. And some of it's trial and error. Let's be honest. There's not a lot of Bible verses that tell us what we're going to do next with our spouse. I mean, so, you know, whether you shop at Kmart or whether you go to Walmart, I mean, the Bible doesn't talk about that. You just have to use some common sense. So some of this is trusting and experiencing and trial and error, and then some of it is just using the brain that God's given us. Amen. I mean, I think also is this thing where, you know, again, I go back to, to having those expectations and I'll say this, I think, and just to encourage everybody, you know, you hear a message like this and you start to think back, man, how can I be better at this? Or I dropped the ball there. Or I did this. You know, you can discover who you are, even in your marriage, if you didn't do it before. Like, there's still time. Like, there's still, there's still time while you're still breathing to kind of go through this process, you know, with your spouse or say, hey, let's just put the cross on the table. Yeah. Tiff and I, so here's the thing, what's great about that? Tiff and I did that, and then we did it again, and we, we renewed our vows December 13th of last year. You know, because it was like, now we know what it means. We really know what for better or for worse, you know, in sickness and in health. Yeah. We really know what that means now. And, and I think nobody ever took the time out to teach us that. And stuff that needs to be taught, even when you're single. Yeah. So you know what you're getting into, so you don't enter into marriage lightly. But at the same time, you can embrace the season of life that you're in. You said in the second service, your wife's a secret ninja. What it's, did you mean by secret it, ninja? So it's, it's like, it's, you know, when we, we get into our disputes, she has a way of communicating without communicating. It's is like, it, it's it like a, this it silent but deadly. Oh, it's a look. It's a body language. And, it, and that's when I realized, okay, I've, I've not met her expectations. I just dropped the ball somewhere. She didn't say anything. I've learned what that look means. Yeah. Just like I've learned that when she says she wants something, she's like, but, you know, we don't, we don't really need it. What she's really saying is we do need it. Yeah. So I'm learning the Jedi mind trick that she uses on me. Let's just do it. Let's yeah. do just a quick group therapy moment. Do we have any secret ninjas in the house? Could you just they give that look? You have a look? You have the look? Okay. And are you, anyone here married to a secret ninja? <laughs> Okay, you got the look? Okay, just yeah, they, checking. They, they use that. They, they just, it's just a weird thing. But you know what? You learn to, I know how to deal with it now. And I just do whatever my wife wants me to do. That's how I deal happy with it. Happy wife, a happy life. Amen, amen. All right, let's, let's, let's land the plane. Whatever season of life you're in, consider these two takeaways. Take it away. One, I think the first takeaway uh, is getting... Uh, a realignment, getting realigned with God and clarity with Jesus. There's something about no matter what season you're in, when you get back under God's word and under his authority and doing things his way, he allows you then to begin to see things a lot clearer. 
you begin to see just how amazing Jesus is. You begin to know who you are in Christ. And then at that point, you recognize you're a child of the king. And as a child of the king, you don't put up with just any old body. That's right. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Or if you get realigned and you're dating, you don't treat people like buffets. Take a little bit, toss them to the side, take a little bit, toss them to the side. You know, you, you cherish friendships and you're developing friendships without bringing extracurricular stuff into the relationship. And the same thing in the engagement period, I think. And then when you get realigned and as you're married, you fall out of alignment. You're like, let me get this back to do what God wants me to do. Because I'm telling when we do that, we begin to see God for who he is. We begin to see the plank or the mess that we have. And it gives us more grace and mercy with our spouse. And we can love them for who they are unconditionally. Yep, that's good. What about you? What's your takeaway? Whatever stage you're in, live in the moment and the mystery. And I think if you want relational health, you'll practice attentiveness. If you want relational health, you'll practice being fully present. And that, again, doesn't happen overnight. It's learning to really stay focused. I'm a little bit ADD. I don't know if you could ever tell, but I get a little bit sidetracked. And I think that if you live in the moment, you can also embrace the mystery. There's going to be things in our life that are going to happen. God hasn't whispered and told us what they are. So you have to live in the moment, but you have to also live in the mystery, knowing that there are going to be surprises along the way. And I don't know about you. I like going to movies that have mystery. I like it that you don't know the punchline until the very end, or they leave you hanging. And I think that that's what each of these stages are. And so for those of you who've made poor choices or something happened that was done against you, you were mistreated, or there was an affair or something went on, or you're single and you don't want to be there, recognize that there's still purpose when your dreams come true, when your dreams don't come true, or when your dreams will never come true. There's still going to be some purpose, but that's the mystery. So if you stay in the moment, asking Jesus for that clarity like you're talking about, eventually you're going to be able to see a little bit of light in that darkness. And God will give you that clarity. And so my heart today and our heart today is that you, you hone in on who you are in Christ, that you don't let even anything of the past define you, but you let your relationship with Christ define you. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, you're not a follower of Jesus, this is a great place to start. Whether you're single or married or divorced or whatever's happened, that's a great place to start in your relationships because life is, is about really two things. It's about vertical and it's about horizontal. It's about relationship with God. It's about relationship with each other. And that's, that's life on planet Earth. So why don't we uh, ask them to stand and let's pray for everybody. Everybody can stand up. I'm just going to close in a word of prayer. All right, let's pray. God, we come before you, Father. Because the mystery of Christ loving the church and giving himself up for the church, how that pertains to marriages is amazing. Because the mystery is about love, that you love us. And Lord, you love us in every season that we are in. So for those of us who are single, God, you call us to embrace that. And as we embrace that, we embrace you, that we can connect with you in a profound way that we can understand our purpose and our value. And Lord, maybe there's some of us that are in the dating stage, Lord, and we still need to get connected with you so we can 
recognize who is this person that I'm getting to know and do things in a way that's going to be godly and that's going to honor you, Father. And then there's some of us in the engagement period. Lord, may we just be totally honest and fair with each other and put the cards out on the table. Lord, just so we can do it, do it all to honor you as well. And Lord, for those of us who are married, Lord, whether it's a great marriage, it's been a storm in the marriage, we're going through a storm right now in the marriage, we, we're thinking about not being married anymore. Father, you are the God that redeems, you are the God that restores, you're the God that heals. So no matter what season of life we're in, no matter what mistakes we have made, Father, we can come boldly to your throne of grace. We can humble ourselves at the foot of the cross because there, Lord, we find healing. It is in Christ we find deliverance. It is in Christ, Lord, we find who we are, whose we are, and how you've called us to glorify you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, for every season. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Sandhills Community Church. Feel free to share this with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information, please visit our website at www.sandhillschurch.org.